because it's getting ready to be on. Welcome, gangsters. I love hip-hop, Rick. You guys are so young and stupid. No idea who you're talking about. It's a faith-based sports radio program. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. I'm not certain that that format is ever going to work. I have a high moral standard. I love you guys. love the program. They're already famous in Rochester, but watch out, world. I think it is time we demonstrated the full power of this station. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the program. Benson and those guys brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions. Townandcountrysolutions.com. Ants, bees, critters, or whatever, call Town and Country for the solution. They fear nothing but God. For the next hour, those guys, Zach and Darren and myself, will be talking sports and doing so from a faith-based point of view. It's a unique perspective. We don't think you're going to find it very easily anywhere else. We hope you'll be entertained and We hope you'll be challenged, and we're glad you've chosen to be with us. We also have a very special interview with Jeff Kemp. Jeff is a former NFL quarterback, and he is also the son of the great Buffalo Bills quarterback and congressman, I might add, the late Jack Kemp. Jeff Kemp has written a book called Facing the Blitz, and he was good enough to stop by and talk with us a little bit about it. If you're struggling or going through a tough time, or maybe you've gone through a tough time, or know that you will eventually be going through a tough time. I encourage you to stick around as Jeff will share a number of the concepts and thoughts from the book. You can find out more about Benson and those guys at our website, btgprogram.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at btgprogram. Before we get too far along, though, in this in this time the show has been on the air, we have listed time and time again those who have appeared on our program and who were then Blessed by God with great success shortly thereafter. <laughs> and while though. we know while we know God is in control, we would be remiss not to point out how often he uses the Benson and Those Guys program as the pipe through which his blessings flow. <laughs> in fact, if it, if we weren't such solid, morally upstanding believers, we might be tempted to take full credit for the good <laughs> things that have happened to so many as a result of being a part of Benson and Those Guys. Well, once again... This time we congratulate our former co-host Shane, who has accepted a role this past week as senior pastor at Colonial Heights Free Methodist Church in Niagara Falls. Congratulations to Shane. I know I know Shane is a man of God. He'll be used by God in, in a mighty way. We wish him all the best, and we ask that you keep Shane in your prayers. Later in the program, we'll give out Shane's personal cell phone number, <laughs> just in case you want to call him and congratulate him, as well as remind him of how God used Benson and those guys to put him where he is today. Congratulations, Shane. <laughs> ESPN, keeping it classy. They've apologized to the New England Patriots for a false report on Skygate. In ESPN's classy manner, they did so early Thursday morning, somewhere around 4 a.m. when nobody <laughs> was course. watching. Mm-hmm. It was an early edition of Sports Center on Thursday. Uh, Steve Levy was the anchor, and he issued an on-air apology for the show's citing of a false Boston Herald report from February 2008. The report said that the Patriots filmed the Rams' walkthrough practice a day before the teams met in the Super Bowl in 2002. The paper admitted three months later that the report was inaccurate and apologized for publishing it. 
Levy says on SportsCenter, on two occasions in recent weeks, SportsCenter incorrectly cited a 2002 report regarding the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 36. Levy said that the story was found to be false and should not have been part of the reporting. We apologize to the Patriots organization. You might remember that Spygate had nothing to do with the Rams in 2002. It was spawned from the the Patriots film, The Jets Defensive Schemes, back in 2007, five years later. Yeah, I got... I got a notification today, though, that, uh, that that Tony Dungy said that Peyton Manning feared the Patriots locker rooms were bugged, like the visiting locker rooms were bugged. Listen, don't don't be reporting this because I'm, we're not going on air to report oh, it. I'm, I'm not reporting. I'm just saying I got a notification from from CBS Sports actually. So whatever, but I'm just saying I I, I don't know if I would really ever apologize to the Patriots because. You know, they because may you're just a be, Bills fan? No, they may just be really, really good at lying and covering up that they did, in fact, film the Rams. I think at this point you just kind of assume, yeah, they probably did that too, you know, right? Yeah, I, I don't even, nothing surprises me with the Patriots anymore. NYCFC, their new star, Andrea Pirlo, who came over from Juventus, has a sub. He's now a New York City athlete. He has a sandwich named after him. <laughs> Number seven sub in New York City has named a sandwich. Now listen to this sandwich. It includes pickled blueberries, pickled blueberries, Gen- Genoa salami, mozzarella, and fried zucchini. That actually sounds good. No, the blue- no, what, no. Pickled blueberries, Genoa salami, mozzarella, and fried zucchini. Okay, the everything but the blueberries sounds good to me. That is a weird combination. I wonder if that's something that he makes at home, like if that's something he likes, or if they were like, let's just find what we have left over in the fridge, or like... It doesn't sound good. It is weird. I I don't know, but I guess if you're an Italian star and you come over, you got to have a sandwich made. You can pick anything you want. That's what he picked. Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Obviously, we're talking about Tim Tebow, <laughs> the great Tim Tebow. What is it with this preseason and, and the joint practices? There has been a lot of throwdowns between teams that are practicing together. Well, the Eagles and the Ravens had a joint practice, and there was a fight in the end zone. One guy on Twitter went as far as to say it was like Tim Tebow parted the Red Sea <laughs> as he goes in and plays the role of peacemaker before the Eagles and the Ravens. I am so sick of hearing about Tim Tebow, no, the fourth-string quarterback. Never. Just stop ne- it. If Tim Tebow makes a move, we want to know about it, no. and we pledge on this program to share it. <laughs> that makes us like every other program in America. All Tim Tebow, all the time. <laughs> you probably saw Jordan Spieth throw out that first pitch before a Texas Rangers game. It I actually was, did not see this. Was it horrendous? No, it was it was oh. a strike. It was a it was a good solid throw. But in the same game, Miss Texas also threw out a first pitch at the game. That had to be bad. Well, it but attractive. It, it wasn't great, but I guess where I end up struggling with it, how do you have two first pitches? <laughs> didn't didn't it can only be one. I got caught up on thinking about how Miss Texas would look. But Miss Texas throws in in, a, in an interview later, you know how they do those in-game interviews. Mm-hmm. Later in an interview, she she does a rap. Now, white Texan girl doing a rap, this is not something anybody needs to see. But in it, she asks Jordan Spieth out on a date. Strong. That, that's a good move. Except for the awkward part where Jordan Spieth's girlfriend is sitting right next to him, 
during the whole the whole thing. Is that she understanding? Is she cool? She gonna let him go? I'm not even sure she knew about it, but <laughs> still yeah. not cool. Still not cool, right? You've got to slow your roll, Miss Texas. Slow your it's roll. 2015. Do some research before you do that. Benson and those guys is brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions. Coming up, as we said later in the show, we're going to talk to former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp. Benson and those guys brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town and Country Pest Solutions. The warm weather is here to stay, but so are those pesky critters. Bees are beginning to build their hives, ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town & Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. I'm thrilled to be able to welcome in Jeff Kemp to the Benson and Those Guys program. Jeff is a former NFL quarterback. He is also the son of the late Congressman Jack Kemp, who himself was a one-time NFL quarterback. In fact, he was an MVP quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Jeff is also the author of Facing the Blitz. Jeff, we welcome you to the program, and it's truly a privilege to have you on the show. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be with you. Do I understand correctly that you and your dad were the first father-son quarterback combo in the NFL? Yeah, we're not quite as famous as uh, Peyton Manning and Archie and uh, Eli Manning, but we were the first of, uh, I think there's six that have had father-son combos. Now, your dad is still fairly legendary here in western New York. Do you have a favorite memory of his time as a Buffalo Bill? Um, I remember going to Saturday practices at War Memorial Stadium, and uh, it was kind of the personal nature of throwing the ball around with uh, Paul McGuire and Cookie Gilchrist, Albert DeBenyon, and Paul Costa, Eddie Rakowski, those are great memories of mine, uh, hanging out with Dad and his friends. I didn't remember this specific memory, but Dad's told the story, and so it's kind of one that's embedded in my head. I was, I think, a 10 when he quit playing football. Um, but there was a game when Daryl LaMonica was the backup quarterback. Everyone was cheering for LaMonica to be put in. Dad had thrown an interception. They were booing him, and they had the ball on the 15 or 10-yard line coming out and uh people were all booing as he walked out of the huddle and he said, let's shut him up and score. They went to line of scrimmage, he audible, threw a bomb over the free safety's head and then the boos were deafening. The ball flew in the air and they started to calm the boos down. Pretty soon they switched tone and pretty soon it was kind of a gasp and then a catch and a cheer and he ran for a touchdown and uh, the boos turned to cheers, which is a beautiful metaphor for uh, blitzes turning to blessings or the way things don't just go from Good to bad in life, they also go from bad to good. And that is the ultimate destination of history with Jesus in charge and leading us to it. Now, your book is called Facing the Blitz. We know what a blitz is in football, but can you tell us about a blitz in the context of your book? Yeah, the book starts off with a metaphor from the Monday night game where uh, the Houston Oilers show a big blitz, filled out the Eagles, and we turned it around to score um, a touchdown, the only touchdown of the game. Uh, and I ended up on my back on that play as the quarterback with the ball in the hands of the tight end for a touchdown. And football blitzes turn around real quick. They're dangerous, but they're 
opportunities. Uh, in life, they don't always turn around quite so quickly, but it could be losing your job. Uh, it could be getting an illness. It could be something with the economy that tanks your investment account. Um, obviously, it could be even death of a loved one, a parent, a spouse, a child, a divorce. These bad things that happen in the world are not the end of the road. They're not the last chapter. And the book of Romans says that we don't just rejoice in God's gift of eternal life. We rejoice in tribulation, trials, difficulties, losses, blitzes, because they bring about perseverance towards God and character like Jesus and hope in heaven. And that's when the love of God is poured out, even though our circumstances are bad. Real-life stuff that happens can be viewed as a blitz, but in it is an opportunity. You mentioned these opportunities. What are some of the good, the bad, and the other opportunities presented when we experience one of those life blitzes? I think probably the greatest um, opportunity is to draw closer to God and form a relationship that's more authentic and real and personal than ever before. And sadly, we humans tend to live our lives in pride and self-dependence until something tough happens. And then sometimes we run from God, but also in those moments we might run toward God. So the good would be the chance to turn to God and develop a closer relationship to realize, realize that he and Jesus have experienced all the pain any humans ever have. They can empathize better than anyone else. Another opportunity is that sometimes we need to humble ourselves and learn in a situation to change, to become different. Maybe we need to stop being so selfish and become a more other-centered. Maybe we need to be quicker to listen and pay attention to people rather than so quick to talk and always spot off our opinion. Mm. It might be that a, a blitz as painful as it is to get fired by a job, or in my case, um, yeah, I got kicked out of the NFL, but that set me up to go into ministry. And I also, when I was in ministry, had a year where we ran out of money, and I fired myself so we'd have enough money to keep the organization alive. And what it did is it opened me up to my next job, my next career track. So sometimes a blitz changes direction for us in ways that we wouldn't have chosen, but are really the best thing. What are some of those personal blitzes that you've experienced throughout your life? And is there one that was maybe more difficult than another for you personally? I don't claim to have the world's toughest blitzes. Some of our listeners and other people have faced such terribly difficult things. But when you lose your career, it's painful. And I think most guys can feel that. Many women can feel that. And I lost my career, you know, at age 33 when I had to leave the NFL. They didn't want me to play anymore, and yet I still wanted to play a few years. That was tough. Uh, it ended up being very emotional and driving me closer to Jesus. Uh, but probably the toughest was when my dad got melanoma cancer, and I found out that he was going to pass away, and then we had four months with him. And uh, the hardest part was kind of the finding out. Uh, the great part was the intimacy and the connection and the intentionality of having four months to say everything you want to say to your dad and listen to him say wonderful things and, and even pray a blessing over me. Um, and to know that God's peace transcended the terrible ravages of cancer and even death, because we are souls who have a body. But when the body goes away, your soul continues, which is why it's so crucial to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. Former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp talks with us on Benson and Those Guys. Jeff is also the author of Facing the Blitz. What do you say to someone whose dreams in life have been crushed by a blitz? How do you, how do you coach them through such an experience? Well, I mean, practically speaking, if someone's going through really tough cancer or they lost their job or something, I don't think you just come and say, hey, I know how it feels. They don't, you don't know exactly how it feels to them. Um, you need to be empathetic and just be with them in their pain. 
by the same token, pretty soon, if they're open to hearing, you may say, you know, can I tell you by the time where I say something pretty tough? I'm not saying it's as tough as yours, but kind of here's some of what I learned. And, and what you want to share with them is you need to face your blitzes head on. You need to face reality. You can't just sit there and say, I just want it to be different. I want it to be different. The sooner you face it and say, this is what we're dealing with, God, I need the strength to, to handle this, the better off you are. Secondly, sometimes when we face blitzes, we, we play the victim and we kind of look around to point the finger to blame others. Maybe they did something terrible to us. Maybe we contributed to the blitz uh, or, 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 you know, the situation that is so painful. It doesn't help at all to point the finger at others. In fact, it slows down the healing. It slows down the ability to re- rebound and progress when we point the finger and play victim. So it really does make sense to say, what can I learn? through this terrible thing that happened to me or this terrible experience I'm going through. And finally, encourage people that the best stance to have in a blitz isn't pride that this shouldn't have happened to me as much as humility. It says, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to handle this, but I want to grow and I want to learn. I want to change. God, give me your help. I may need to reach out to the help for the help of others. Don't stay in your uh, little pocket of self-protection and fail to ask for help. Humble yourself. Look for a team. Get some people to help you. Go to a counselor. Go to your pastor. Confide in your wife or your husband. And finally, in a blitz, you may need to forgive someone uh, and you're going to take, you're going to need some patience to grow out of it. So those are some of the things um, to share, but you, it starts with empathy and compassion and just being with them in their pain. Um, the book lays out strategies for facing blitzes. And they're simply this. Take a long-term view, be willing to change, and focus on others. Jeff, there are trials and blitzes in life, and then there's some that are just seem even more overwhelming. They're at a, a whole nother level, such as a loss of a job or maybe a spouse walking out on them. Do you handle that differently? I mean, what do you say to the man or woman who lost their job or, or their spouse has left them? You know, um, it's a very similar answer to the last answer. At the starting place, when we're um, approaching someone who's in a blitz, is comfort. You also have to be patient and realize that things don't turn around right away. So we can't say, hey, it'll all be okay. This will turn into a touchdown. I don't imply that at all. Some of the stories I tell in the book about a gal that lost her soldier son in Iraq who came home and died of PTSD and a family that lost their son in a car crash and family that had a child born with spina bifida and a guy that lost his business, his career, and uh, all of his business dreams. Those don't turn around quickly. So you start with compassion for them. But I think you remind them that if you draw close to God, and if you draw close to others, and if you look around for other people to encourage at this time while you're hurting, and if you remember that God has a long-term plan for your life, there's more than just this painful chapter you're in. And if you're ready to grow and become closer to God, more humble, more other-centered, more of a listener, less of a talker, more of a servant, less of a taker, obviously more of an investor in that relationship rather than a, ta- a consumer, that you will move through this blitz more quickly. And it may even turn into something that prepares you to help many people and have positive chapters in the future. So encourage them that, you know, there, there's a path forward, but you need teamwork and you need to draw close to God. Uh, and if you look to encourage others, it'll make your pain less painful. In the book, you discuss personal accountability. 
Why is it important to take personal responsibility for your actions, and how does that affect your relationship with others? I told a story in there about a, a field goal kicker, great kicker, um, great guy, amazing guy. He serves people these days, Todd Peterson. And uh, he was a very responsible kicker, made most of his field goals. But one game, he missed a field goal, and part of the reason was the snap was bad and the hold was bad, and then he missed the kick. You know, after the game, and they said, Don, I should have made that kick. I feel bad about that. Unfortunately, you know, we had a bad snap and a bad hold. So what happened was he kind of spread a little bit of the blame to others. And one of the great coaches on our team, Jim Zorn, came up to him and said, he thought, you know what, coaches would really love to defend players, but we can't defend them unless the coach, the player takes 100% responsibility. Just focus on the part that you had something to do with the kick. Ignore the hole, ignore the, the snap. And uh, Todd Peterson took that lesson of hard. He was an incredibly uh, responsible guy going forward. But you cannot, you cannot grow if you don't look at your own part in any problem. If you play the victim and point the finger at anyone else, you'll, you'll learn the lesson slower. You won't get out of that situation and you might be more likely to repeat it in the future. The other thing about taking responsibility, it makes it so other people will need to blame you. <laughs> but if you take responsibility, they won't spend their time pointing the finger at you and blaming you. And say, oh, well, gosh, you take responsibility. That's big enough. Now let's see if we can help them succeed this next time. We're going to take a quick break. We'll have more of our conversation with Jeff Kemp coming up later in the program. The book is called Facing the Blitz. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Former Baltimore Orioles star prospect and popular former Rochester Red Wing Bobby Bonner will be speaking at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton tomorrow, August 23rd. Come hear this dynamic man of God who walked away from the game of baseball in his prime to serve the Lord as a missionary to the nation of Zambia. Bobby currently serves as a pastor in the Kansas City area and you will be blessed by his heart to love God and serve others. And coming in September, evangelist and pastor Tim Lee will be at First Bible as part of their Counting the Cost Missions Focus. For more information, visit their website at fbbc.info. Again, that's Bobby Bonner, Sunday, August 23rd, tomorrow at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. Address is 990 Manitou Road. Services are at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Hope to see you there. Tim Hiller was striving for a prized roster spot with the Indianapolis Colts when six words changed everything. We have to let you go. In his new book, Strive, former collegiate and NFL quarterback Tim Hiller leads you on a year-long journey, taking small steps each week on the path to making your life matter and to developing more and more into the person God designed you to be. Strive by Tim Hiller, now available on Amazon or at timhiller.com. Welcome back to the program, Benson and those guys. You can follow us on Twitter at BTG Program. We've been talking with former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp. He's got a new book. It's called Facing the Blitz. And it was just, it's remarkable how God works things out. Because I was preparing to prepare, uh, to preach in a church that I'm not familiar with. They asked me to come and fill the pulpit for him this week. And at the same time I'm talking to Jeff Kemp, I'm talking about coming through obstacles, but yet looking at the good side of things, that was really going to be the emphasis for my message. And he's talking about facing a blitz and dealing, and not only do things go from good to bad, but they do go from bad to good. And we just so often, you know, we focus on the negative 
I had I had a day recently where, and I said this in my message. I had one of those days where people just felt like my my life wasn't going to be complete if they didn't give me their opinion on the way I do things. And according to their rather lengthy detail, the way I do things was definitely not the right way. And also, I am unintelligent. I smell bad, and I'm not very good looking. But you know, th- these are all the things that those people. The point is, they really ruined an otherwise good day, and. I felt foolish for allowing them to ruin that day. And I, I told my wife later on that I know those people are in the minority, and yet there I was focused on them, uh, focused on the few who stood out because of their bitterness. Let's get back to that interview with Jeff Kemp as he's talking about his book, Facing the Blitz. Now, you devote an entire chapter to encouraging your audience to be investors and not consumers. What are the major differences or contrasts between an investor and a consumer, and how have you seen this played out in your own career? I think people probably have a, a good idea of what the difference is between an investor and consumer. Consumer uses their money, buys stuff, and pretty soon that stuff's gone, um, and there's no more value. An investor takes their money and delays immediate gratification, puts it in some enterprise, um, a real estate project or uh, a stock market investment or some other business enterprise, and it grows the value. So there's more in the future than there even is at the present. I speak of that in regard to relationships. And it's interesting, in pro football, uh, there's an example. Quarterbacks are trying to throw the ball perfectly accurately, one foot diameter of accuracy to make it easy for receivers to catch and keep running. And receivers are taught that they should catch anything thrown even near them. They're both working on making the other player look good. The receivers make the quarterback look good, and the quarterbacks make the receivers look good. They're both trying to make the game easier for the other fellow to play. They expect more of themselves than they do of other people. That's what leads to great teamwork and great success. An investor in relationships is someone who says, you know, what can I do to bring up the best in this person, the best in the relationship? How can I add value for the future? Whereas a consumer, they just want to feel okay in the moment. So they might argue, they might defend themselves, they want to might want to make a cutting remark, might want to use sarcasm. Um, if, in, if in a marriage, if, if a couple has a disagreement and the guy is a consumer, then he's just going to argue till he wins his point. If he can't win his point, he's going to walk out and call her some dumb name. And what he did is he just destroyed the value of the relationship and he damaged uh, the, the nature of his wife. So investors are people who are thinking, what's best for them? They're thinking about, how can I add value to their, their life? How can I ask questions and learn about them? You know what? I want to try to understand what, what they're thinking and what they're doing before I want them to understand me. And that's a crucial one. If you're an investor parent, and you're more interested in how your kid's character turns out than whether or not they make some team or get a trophy so you can brag about it. Some, some people that are consumers are more focused on what attention they get for what goes on in their lives. You've mentioned teamwork, and you've also mentioned building relationships. Both are a big theme in your book. What are some of the life lessons you've learned in the locker room that help build trust in the relationships that are closest to you? Well, that was pretty cool. Steve Lodge, a Hall of Fame football player, uh, and a real close friend of mine on the Seahawks, he knew the offense well and was you know, not terribly challenged by the summer training camp um, practice drills and such. But one of the things he paid attention to in the summer was he'd help put on a little meal and welcome all the rookies to the team and let them know that there's uh, veterans that have a Bible study and that love God and would love to be a help to them. And they're welcome to come to the Bible study or ask any of us for help. Told them about chapel service, which we held before the games. Gave them some food. 
that's a great way to build team rapport. Reggie White, also a Hall of Fame, amazing fellow. I played with him on the Eagles. He led our team Bible study and, and asked me to help him lead one time, and we taught about uh, apology, confession, repentance, and then we, he led us in, a, in a, an apology and confession of um, attitudes about race and prejudice, bias, lack of forgiveness, bitterness, and here's every black guy to apologize to every white guy, and every white guy to apologize to every black guy, and to each other for really not being forces of healing and holding on to negative uh, stereotypes. And that was the most amazing battle study I've ever seen. And it grows the camaraderie and teamwork off the field that helps you want to sacrifice on the field. But teamwork is really about having a bigger vision than yourself. You're playing for a cause greater than yourself, and you're willing to sacrifice yourself in the moment to make the team win. Mm. Jeff, as a quarterback, you're viewed as the leader of the team. And you talk about leadership a lot in your book. If you could capture the influence of, of truly great leadership in one word, what would that be? Well, it includes encouragement and, and vision and inspiration, um, courage. But I'd probably wrap it up in one word, and that's lift. Uh, to lift other people's sights, to lift other people's spirits, to lift the mood of the group of people, um, to lift our eyes from the short term to the long term, um, to lift people's view of themselves from kind of a small, insecure, worried, self-conscious, I don't know if I can do this, um, I'm, I'm not that good at this view of themselves, to a positive, big view of who they can become. Here's an example. <laughs> My dad used to always say, Jeff, your day's going to come. Think like a starter, be a starter. He watched me play football one day, and he said, hey, you look great today. He was on TV. And I said, Dad, I didn't even get in the game. I was all frustrated. He said, I know, I saw you warming up. You're throwing the ball great. So here he found something to encourage, even though I wasn't even playing. Um, in the scriptures, there's a story of Gideon, uh, who was to become a great warrior and, and leader, but he was not that when he was a teenager. He was hiding in a wine press, uh, knocking out some weed so he could have something to eat. He was hiding in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord came to him and spoke to Gideon these words. Oh, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you great and valiant warrior, you mighty man of valor. So in essence, the angel was lifting Gideon's view of himself to be who God saw him to be, who he was going to become. A dad's job, a mom's job, is to lift the child's view of himself, uh, to lift them to higher behavior, higher standards, higher faith, higher self-confidence, um, and to any leader that does a great job lifts that, that team or that organization um, to a more noble purpose, noble cause, higher standards, greater level of self-sacrifice and teamwork, which is what brings bigger results to everybody. And uh, you can remember that word left as well because airplanes are able to fly because their wings generate left. You know, you mentioned um, teamwork and marriage, of course, being uh, in your book you refer to as the ultimate team. And I believe marriage and family are under attack in today's society, and and that's of the devil, of course. But how have you and your wife, Stacy sought to be investors in your marriage rather than being consumers? Well, Stacy and I had, um, I in particular had some misconceptions going into marriage. I thought it would be easy, automatic, just show up and it's going to be fun, and didn't realize how different we were or how difficult marriage is because it's two selfish people, two sinners married to one another. But we had a great benefit in that we chose to invest in a relationship with Jesus Christ and say that marriage is for life 
And if God is who he is, he's big enough to help us stick with this commitment. So no matter the problem, it's only going to drive us to say, how can we change? How can we learn? How can we know more of God? What can we learn more about marriage? Um, how can we grow? And we went to mentors. We went to classes. We went to conferences. Um, gosh, we read books and videotapes. And we got a lot of help. And these big differences that were giving us challenges, eventually we learned to accept them and chuckle sometimes at how different we are and actually view them as uh, grounds for great teamwork. My son one time was five years old and said, Daddy, you guys are too different to be married. And I said, no, Keegan, the reason we're married is because we are different. You know, there's receivers and quarterbacks are very different on the team and they do different things. The other one can't. But that's what makes for a great team. And that's how it is in marriage. So for us, investing has looked like praying together every single day, all through our marriage. Uh, it's been studying the scriptures and studying marriage books. It's been teaching marriage to young couples. We mentor couples and we lead small groups, and that keeps us fresh. I'm going to a counselor right now because I want to grow as a husband and learn some things. Uh, so that's a way to invest. And then dating. A lot of couples date and then they get married and forget that you're actually married, so now you can keep dating. And <laughs> you should be dating every, you know, a bunch, every month, a couple times, three times, four times. And then here's here's some practicals about um, investing. When it comes to communication and conflict resolution, because everyone has conflict, invest in your spouse by using these type of questions and words to draw out understanding of them rather than just getting your opinion across. One of them is help me understand. Help me understand where you're coming from, what you were thinking, what were you feeling. Help me understand. The other one is, what do you need from me now? What do you, what do you need from me? See how other-centered that is? That's an investment in the relationship. That's an investment in them. And then the third one is, how can I help? For a husband to ask his wife at the beginning of a day if she's stressed, how can I help? Or over the course of this next week, how can I help? That is huge. It shows that you care about them. And then, you know, sometimes we husbands don't have much of a clue. We're focused on business and work and this and that. But to ask your wife the question, how can I help? What would make our relationship better? How can I serve you? She'll give you some answers. Write them down. All of a sudden, you got a game plan. Go start investing. We're talking with Jeff Kemp here on Benson and Those Guys. Jeff, before we let you go, can can you share with us how you first came to faith in Jesus Christ? I will. Let me. We just talked about marriage. Let me just point out that if anyone wants to invest in their marriage, save their marriage, heal their marriage, help someone else save their marriage, they can go to FamilyLife.com and find out about the Weekend to Remember and the Art of Marriage and other resources. That's where I work, and, and that's our goal is to invest in marriages and see a, a revival of the ultimate team. And the journey that led me there takes me back to your question, how did I um, give my life to Christ? It was in a Christian home where I started going to church and heard about Jesus from my mom um, and church. Junior high, went to camp and made commitments. But it ended up being kind of an intellectual belief, and I drifted from that walk with Jesus during junior high and high school and college. And my last year of college, when we graduated, um, I'd pretty much been walking on my own without God its central role in my life, and I compromised quite a bit. But I realized I was as successful as I've ever been. I had a free agent contract with the Rams. I was popular. I had girlfriends. I was in fraternity. I had good grades from an Ivy League college at Dartmouth. And here I go off to L.A. to play pro football in a couple of weeks. And, uh, boy, after these graduation parties and stuff, I'd, I'd go to sleep at 3 or 4 in the morning and couldn't fall asleep. I'd be laying there, and there was this emptiness in me, this vacuum, this 
gnawing feeling that something's wrong, I'm missing something. Why am I not happy? And the answer came back to me was the verse Romans 8, 28. And I hadn't been reading the Bible, and I don't think I'd paid attention to this Bible verse for years. But it says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what woke me up, which I really think is the work of God, the Holy Spirit who allows us to understand him and turn to him. Um, and therefore, it's, a, it's something he gets the credit for, not something we can brag about or earn. But he was working and he was opening my heart. And those words came in my head three nights in a row. And I realized, ah, the problem is purpose. I say I love God, but I'm not called according to his purpose. I'm called according to Jeff Kemp. I'm my own purpose. And so I turned over my purpose to Jesus. I said, God, take over my life. And uh, I went out to the Rams, met Christian players, met my wife soon after that. Miraculously, I made the team, which was a blessing of God. And then I started getting discipled and was in the team Bible studies, and I grew from there. So actually, success proved to be empty, and Romans 8.28 was put in my head by God, and that showed me that I needed him as my purpose, not myself. We're talking with Jeff Kent. The book is Facing the Blitz. How can our listeners get a copy of the book? Well, I have a website called facingtheblitz.com. And there's a lot of stuff there, Rick. Um, they can buy the book there on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble and uh, Lifeway and other, other bookstores. Uh, but you can get it online at facingtheblitz.com. And then there's also a free study guide called Huddle Up. And there's guys that are sitting around going through the book, reading the questions, looking at the scripture verses and talking it through each week. And I also have these weekly devotionals. They're just a one-minute video with a couple questions and a scripture and a quote. And those are called Facing Your Blitz. And they can find those and sign up for those for free on uh, the FacingTheBlitz.com website as well. Is there anything we can keep in prayer for you? Well, I want to um, grow as a husband. I want to um, be a lifelong investor, and I'm praying that uh, the mission of Family Life would spread so that more and more men could discover their identity as investors, not consumers, that they see themselves as um, givers and committers and lovers of their wives, um, and not as small-minded guys that are takers and consumers. Um, we want to revive marriage and revive manhood and see the family strengthen. So pray for my marriage and pray for spread of marital commitment and manhood identity across this country. Those are great things to keep in prayer. Jeff, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a, it's, it's been a real treat to talk to you, and I wish you all the best with the book and with everything in your ministry at Family Life. Thanks, Rick. Great to talk to your listeners and you, and uh, I pray God's blessings in their lives that they would see the difficulties, the challenges, the losses, uh, the blitzes as opportunities to turn to God, to build a team, and to find out how he wants them to bless others. He's Jeff Kemp, former NFL quarterback, author of the book Facing the Blitz. He's also the son of the great Jack Kemp. You can get the book FacingTheBlitz.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or a number of other book retailers. It's often said if you're not going through a trial now, it's because you just came through one or you're about to go through one. Jeff provides in his book a lot of good ideas, a lot of solid biblical principles on how to deal with those trials and not only just get through them, but turn them into opportunities for good. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. The warm weather is here to stay, but so are those pesky critters. 
Bees are beginning to build their hives. Ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town & Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Welcome back to Benson and those guys brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Zach and I had the, the great fortune of taking a Yankees game in Cleveland last week. We sat in one of those dugout suites. I mean, we had sweet seats. Unfortunately, th there was only two tickets to be had. We're looking right down the first base foul line. I mean, we were as close to home plate as the pitcher was, I think. Not to mention all the food and drink we wanted as as well as being sent home with some Pretty cool gifts. I've never had such great seats. No, it was great. It was great. And they took good, good care of us, too. Yeah, so thank you to uh, those who made that possible. But while we were there, we got to talking about Cleveland Indians pitcher Trevor Bauer. Bauer is one of those classic models of unlimited potential with very little realization to this point. He was the third overall pick of the 2011 draft by the Arizona Diamondbacks. But... Within two seasons, he had worn out his welcome and was dealt to Cleveland in December of 2012. Entering, entering this year, Bauer had a career record of 7-12 and 12 and a 4.44 ERA. He'd allowed 180 hits in only 186 innings. And so far this season, he's 9-10 and 10 with a 4.62, including going 1-5 with a 7.05 ERA in the seven starts since the All-Star break. Now, he's scheduled to start tonight against the Yankees while we're in studio, so obviously whatever he does there is not going to be reflected at the time that th this broadcast airs. And in fairness to him, prior to the break, he was actually putting together a pretty strong season. He was he went into the break 8-5 uh, and five with a 3.76 ERA and 17 starts. Not too bad. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that it actually... Is measures up to the potential that everybody thinks he has, or a third round, or a third overall pick in the, in the very first round of the draft. And of course, I don't know Trevor personally, but he has a reputation of being difficult to deal with. That a large part of why he's not still in Arizona. And that said, I, you know, again, I don't know anything about him. I don't really, I don't know him. I don't know about the negotiations. And I understand that sometimes, listen, two personalities just don't fit. Neither has to necessarily be wrong, but they just don't work well together. And maybe that's what happened with Bauer and, and Arizona. But there are some things you can point to in his career that suggest he might be one of those players who, who coaches just label as uncoachable. You know those guys, they don't listen. They, they always think they know better. And in youth sports at the, at the young levels, that usually, or I should say maybe that often, involves a parent telling the player just how wonderful he is, how terrific he is, and how the coach doesn't know anything about what he's talking about. An example of, of Bauer's unwillingness to co cooperate and his focusing on his own needs was the story where in high school, 
He had an off-season routine of doing long throws. He would take a bucket of balls to a local park and throw as part of his arm strengthening regimen. Long, long toss is still something he does, and he believes strongly in, even though it's been questioned by a ton of people. You know, that type of, that's not necessarily great on the arm, but he believes in it. So he goes to the park by himself because he couldn't find anyone to throw with him. He admits, <laughs> that should tell you right there. Well, exactly right. And he admits that he didn't really have any friends, which ought to raise a red flag there. Remember Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. Mm-hmm. Now, Bauer would throw baseballs from one side of the park to the other, and and he would throw it up against this wooden fence that surrounded the tennis courts. And he did this until a tennis coach decided to hold lessons on the court while Bauer was throwing, and the coach asked him to stop doing that. But Bauer refused to stop throwing, saying later, sorry if I wasn't taught to be blindly allegiant to authority. What? So you acknowledge the authority, but you are opting not not to follow it. That, That ought to raise another red flag there. When Bauer was traded, sources within the D-back said that among the reasons for the trade was that he was he was stubborn, and he, he wanted to do his own routine in the majors, including those long tosses, which coaches just weren't down with, regardless of the weather. He wanted to do this before games he pitched. The source said he, had, he even had difficulty getting on the same page with veteran catchers, catchers who knew, catchers who had dealt with people with more success than him. He even had, uh, he would even wear, reports are, he would wear headphones while throwing in the bullpen sessions. You know, he's warming up in the bullpen or he's doing in between games where he's throwing in the bullpen. He's got a headset on. You know, coaches aren't digging this, but he was into his own thing. He had no respect, no interest in any advice from veteran players. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. doesn't really sound like Bauer. You know, again, I don't know him, but based on his reputation, the reports are Philippians 2 seems to go in con- contrast to him. He has got above-average fastball. He's got a changeup and a curveball that are also very good. He has a slider a reverse slider that runs in on lefties. He has a splitter. So he's got all the tools, and he's got the talent. What he seems to lack is the head for the game, you know, that ability to listen and be coached. He's an adrenaline guy. He loves striking out hitters, and as a result, he throws a lot of pitchers. Or throws a lot of pitchers, yeah, throws a lot of pitches. The issue is here that his mechanics are somewhat similar to that of one of his favorite pitchers, Tim Lincecum. And in Linsencombe's case, coaches were concerned about the torque on his arm because of those those wacky mechanics that he has. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just looks like he's going to blow out an arm. Well, the same concern they have for Trevor Bauer. And as is the case with Linsencombe, it seems that perhaps that what they were concerned about is maybe we're seeing that. The best days of Linsencombe probably behind him. You know, he's a, he's not the picture, picture he once was, and... Perhaps as predicted, he may have burned out, and they're concerned about the same thing for Bauer. His regimen, his stubbornness, he, he wants to call all his own pitches. He's irritated, it's frustrated his teammates. Indians manager Terry Francona, he sort of downplays Bauer's reputation as unapproachable, though, like everybody else, he's still waiting for Bauer to deliver on the promise and the potential he seems to be blessed with. 
I think it's always discouraging to see such things among young people, and I see it a lot being around youth sports so much. Sometimes we need to let go. We need to let others provide some guidance. Don't just be another player. Be a teammate. King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. That seems a lot like Bauer when he's there by himself throwing against a fence where he doesn't have a buddy. And you feel for a guy like Bauer, who it seems either had no one there or maybe he trusted no one that was there. And sometimes we see people fail in their ministry or struggle in their Christian walk because they insist on doing things their own way. Their pride doesn't allow them to admit that someone else may have an answer, that someone else may have a better way. Why can't they see that just because they may not have an answer to a particular solution or a particular situation doesn't make them inferior? I'm talking about the biblical role of discipleship, where a more experienced person can come along someone else and guide them, teach them, help them navigate the pitfalls and the, the trouble areas of life. That example is only as good as someone being able to accept the guidance. You know, if you're not willing to be a partner in that, and it doesn't seem like Trevor Bauer has been, well, it's only going to be so successful. For any athlete at any level, that mentor relationship can be the key in developing talent, reaching full potential, seeing goals, goals realized, and it's the same thing in our spiritual lives. In our faith journeys, discipleship is the link between getting people saved and into church and making them become more or bringing them to be more Christ-like, improving you know, their, their spiritual disciplines, I suppose. A study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 reveals a great number of benefits of discipleship, or, or mentorship if you prefer. Stronger, more experienced believers helping new or less experienced believers in Christ. For instance, fall, uh, protecting them from falling away from the faith, you'll, uh, you'll see in verses 3 and 4, how the devil just loves to tempt and attack new believers. Jesus gives, of course, the parable of the sower. You'll also see accountability in verse 5, fellowship in verse 6, all benefits of discipleship. It even serves as an encouragement to the mentor in verses 8 and 9, promotes prayer in verse 10. Again, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It perfects love for one another in verse 12. And you can study the chapter for yourself, see what else God shows you. And again, I don't know Trevor Bauer, nor do I know his, his situation, I don't know his background, but I can say with all certain that he most definitely would have benefited from the biblical role of discipleship, even if applied to a non-spiritual application. You know, I'm not talking anything about his spiritual, I'm just talking if he had that type of role in his life, maybe that would have helped him in his baseball career. But again, he needs to be a willing partner in the process. Remember this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then God wants for you to grow, not just sit there. A church has a good, strong foundation when its mature members are reproducing themselves in those not as grounded as you are. Consider again how, how Paul sent Timothy for this very purpose, to teach people to be more like himself. I mean, how are you doing? Are you stuck in your own ways? Could you benefit from the help and the guidance of another? 
Or maybe you're that person that you haven't been pouring yourself into another. Maybe there's someone who can benefit from all that you've learned, from all that you already know. The biblical role of discipleship would have been key in Trevor Bauer. And again, maybe maybe he gets it together, closes out the year, and rebounds. He's still very, very young. As we go to break, let me encourage you to check out our sponsors, Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. You're listening to Benson and those guys. Former Baltimore Orioles star prospect and popular former Rochester Red Wing Bobby Bonner will be speaking at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton tomorrow, August 23rd. Come hear this dynamic man of God who walked away from the game of baseball in his prime to serve the Lord as a missionary to the nation of Zambia. Bobby currently serves as a pastor in the Kansas City area and you will be blessed by his heart to love God and serve others. And coming in September, evangelist and pastor Tim Lee will be at First Bible as part of their Counting the Cost Missions Focus. For more information, visit their website at fbbc.info. Again, that's Bobby Bonner, Sunday, August 23rd, tomorrow at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. Address is 990 Manitou Road. Services are at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Hope to see you there. Tim Hiller was striving for a prized roster spot with the Indianapolis Colts when six words changed everything. We have to let you go. In his new book, Strive, former collegiate and NFL quarterback Tim Hiller leads you on a year-long journey, taking small steps each week on the path to making your life matter and to developing more and more into the person God designed you to be. Strive by Tim Hiller, now available on Amazon or at timhiller.com. Now the moment we've all been waiting for. Tom Brady wears Uggs. I have no knowledge of anything. I have no explanation for what happened. The highlight of the show. I'm not going to let our fans down. The reason people tune in week after week. Said no one ever. Darren's Unreasonable Rant. Participation trophies have made their way into the news recently thanks to the quality parenting of James Harrison. And I, unlike most of you participation trophy-loving pansies out there, couldn't agree more with him. Although participation trophies have always been around in some form or another, i.e. 90% of you collecting paychecks you don't really do anything or contribute any way, shape, or form to your business to, to get. You basically get paid for showing up, sitting on your butt for 8 hours, eating a pastry, and consuming just enough terrible coffee to stay awake for the job you're not performing. That's the epitome of a participation trophy, if you will. I think we should employ Mr. Harrison's parental tactics on trophies to life in general. You gotta earn it. I'm looking at you, Jims, Jimbos, Bobs, and Carls of the world. Your mid-level accounting job performances are only surpassed in mediocrity by the athletic performances you display in your uh, Wednesday night softball league. James Harrison knows what it takes to truly earn a paycheck. You do not, and I'm sorry if this sounds harsh, but no one, regardless of age, adorableness, or athletic ability, will ever deserve a trophy for simply showing up. I wonder uh, where the world would be today if the Allies just showed up in Germany for World War II. Hashtag say no to unearned trophies. Yeah, I compared participation trophies to World War II. That happened. It's called the unreasonable rant for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I, I don't know what to think about participation trophies. Now, I'm, I'm with you in theory. I, I agree with James Harris. I, listen, you should earn it, right? Yeah. You should earn your trophies. And I think there are lessons, and which is why I really I love what I do in sports ministry, because there are lessons in both winning and losing. However, who cares if they get a participation trophy? If I the do. kid if the kid is happy 
for a couple of hours. Whether it's a participation trophy or a league champion trophy that you give a 10 or 11-year-old kid, in, in two weeks or a month, the thing's going to be in a box at the bottom of a closet. I agree with you on that. I have a lot of, when I was growing up, participation trophies were not a thing and to be I, that I, way. But I have a bunch of champions trophies, and like you said, they're in a box. Yeah, we, I don't really care about them. They're going to end up in a box. So who cares if the kid is happy for a couple of I think it's the message minutes. we're sending the kids. I, I, we can debate that, and I, I'm with you in, in theory. <laughs> but I, I guess I don't see why it's such a big deal because it has. There's been talk shows debating it now for mm-hmm. ever since Harrison's remarks came out. But, again, I, I don't see the big deal. Our show is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. At the end of every show, we go around the room, and we give our pest of the week, townandcountrysolutions.com. If you have a pest problem, They'll take care of it. My pest for this week is Sean Diddy Combs. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to this alleged alleged kettleball kettle ball attack <laughs> with UCLA coach Sal Alosi. I defended him, didn't I? I believe you probably did. That sounds like <laughs> something you would dis- defend. But Diddy says while he's dismisses the incident and, by the way, the arrest that followed – as simple miscommunication. He says, I think there's times when you have to communicate and find out what's going on and be by your children's side. I'm not sure that includes swinging a kettleball. <laughs> I went there to communicate. Now, now I can't speak about anything else that happened. All the rumors that it was a big problem, it was just a miscommunication. <laughs> Come on, man. He's just standing up for his kid. Why Diddy, you, you are my pest of the week. My, my pest of the week is North Carolina. There's an actual presidential candidate polling at 9% in this once great state by the name of D's Nuts. Yes, you heard me correctly. Someone going by the name of D's Nuts is getting 9% of the presidential candidate votes. And to make it even worse, D's Nuts is a 15-year-old boy from Iowa. 9% of North Carolina wants a 15-year-old boy going by the name of D's Nuts to be president. What is wrong with you people? North Carolina is my pest of the week. Makes me think of uh, Monty Brewster and Brewster's Millions and vote for none of the above. (laughs) Anyway, Zach, your pest of the week. My pest of the week is Major League Baseball. They gave uh, Royals manager Ned Yost an Apple Watch as a gift for being the all-star team manager. Then they thought it was a phone and banned him from wearing it in the dugout. So Major League Baseball, <laughs> figure out what an Apple Watch is. Hint, it's a watch. Let Dead Yost wear it. I want to remind everybody, coming up tomorrow morning at First Bible Baptist Church at Hilton, you can hear Bobby Bonner, great man of God, former missionary, former ball player for both the Baltimore Orioles, the, the Rochester Red Wings. I want to thank you for joining us this week. Benson and those guys is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Go ahead and visit them, townandcountrysolutions.com. They fear nothing but God. Give our website a look, btgprogram.com, or follow us on Twitter, at btgprogram. You've been listening to Benson and those guys.